Good morning, everyone. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, may everything said, sung, and shared today be to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, in the lead up to this season of Lent, I have to admit, I was debating what I could potentially give up during this time. I thought about coffee, uh, not going to happen, you know, chips, um, snacks, certain practices or whatever. And little did I know that on Ash Wednesday, actually just after the Ash Wednesday service here, I'd be rushed to Verdun Hospital diagnosed with appendicitis and that I would apparently be giving up my appendix for Lent. <laughs> and, um, you know, just on that thought, I do want to express my sincere and, and, and deep appreciation for, for your prayers, your check-ins, your funny comments from time to time and kind words during, during the recovery. And I'll be showing my scars afterwards if anyone's interested. But the experience itself gave me one of the things I most value in life, and that is stories. And I think I've got enough stories during my time in hospital and recover to last a couple of sermons, so please be patient with me. But the one that stands out for me, particularly with the passages that we read this morning, has to do with the whole issue of having surgery and going under general anesthetic. Now, for those of you who have, who have had surgery and have had to go under, you probably have a good idea what it's like. You're lying on the table, there's a mask, and someone supposedly counts down from 10, and you might hear the number nine, and then what seems like five seconds later, you're awake, when in actual fact you've been out for two, three, four hours, who knows, maybe more. I think I was out for three, give or take two. Okay, I'll take your word for it. You were, you were awake, I wasn't. Um, and when you're coming out of anesthetic, when you're, when you're starting to become conscious, it is a very strange time because usually your, your barriers are, are let down and whatever may have been going into your mind, what was in your mind going under, will sometimes resurface. I know there is um, someone in our family who, when coming out of surgery, asked what time it was about six times, much to the chagrin of the nurse looking after her. Sorry, Susan. In, in my case, at least according to Susan, when they were wheeling me out and I looked over, the first words out of my mouth were, Hi, beautiful. And it was definitely a high point for me as a husband. <laughs> now, the, the beauty of the moment did kind of diminish a little bit when I was yelling hi, beautiful to Susan in the hallway, but the point was it was a great win for husbands everywhere. But it's also a nice illustration of this idea of inside out. When I was going in for surgery, what was inside my heart was a sense of real love and appreciation for Susan. She had come in as soon as she could get off of work. Um, she sat with me while we were waiting for the procedure. 
She waited in the waiting room. She gave me words of encouragement, squeezed my hand, prayed for me, all of that. And that stayed with me. And so when all of the filters were removed, this is what naturally came out. A deep appreciation for a beautiful, wonderful, caring woman, which came out as a groggy, high, beautiful. And this kind of outpouring, but of a, of a love placed in us by God himself for us to share with the world around us is what we're going to be exploring together today. This idea that God has put something in us to, when all the barriers are taken down, to share with the world around us. The passages today were an interesting mix to weave together, didn't you find? We have a history passage about the anointing of David as the future king of Israel. We have a beloved psalm talking about obedience and following to green pastures and still waters and being led through difficult times, the valley of the shadow of death to a promising future in God's presence. And we have a teaching passage from Paul about being imitators of God and leading a pure godly life. The passage in 1 Samuel lays the groundwork for choosing David as the new king of Israel. Saul by this time had fallen deeply out of favor with God due to his disobedience. And in fact, if you look at the chapter before the one that we read today, it says that the Lord actually regretted making him king. Can you imagine that? The Lord regretting allowing something to happen. It's not something you see often, but there it is. The Lord regretted making Saul king. And in reading about Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9, the first thing that's mentioned about him when he is selected as king of Israel isn't his spiritual devotion or his pious living or his godly character. It's that he was good looking. He was, as scripture says, a handsome young man. He probably dressed well, very fashionable, like many of you. Um, he was handsome. He was well built. And his greatest act, asset wasn't his kindness or his godly devotion, but rather his external appearance. Pretty vacuous, don't you find? Just a, a vacuous reason to be chosen as a king leading God's people. And this emptiness strangely kind of reflected Israel as a whole at the time. They had been up until this point led by prophets and judges who were in turn being guided and prompted by God's leading. And this was a God-reliant leadership structure that guided Israel out of slavery and through the wilderness and into their promised land and establishing them in this space in the Middle East. And yet they chose instead to have a king like all other nations, just like everybody else. And they went for good looking. And it's in this selection of David as Israel's second king that we gain some unique insight into God's character. 
The prophet Samuel is commissioned by God to anoint the next king. And he's told to go and he's going to survey Jesse's sons because it's in this lot of people where he's going to find the next king. And on seeing the first of Jesse's sons, who seems to be a bit of a catch, he seems to be good looking, he seems to physically match what you would be looking for in a, in a next king. But he's told by the Lord, do not look on his appearance or on his height or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And son after son is brought before him, and the Lord says, no, not that one. Another one, nope, not that one. Until finally, he's exhausted the list and he said, are you sure there isn't another one? And, oh yeah, my youngest is, I'll go get him. And it turns out that the youngest was the one that was, to use another passage in scripture, a man after God's own heart. And this was the one that the Lord wanted to be the next king of Israel. Now, we have the same struggle today, don't we? Appearance versus heart. Outside versus inside. We, and I include myself in this, are often drawn to attractive people, to charismatic leaders, to a well-groomed family, a persuasive oratory, or even just a person with the appearance of checking all the boxes. And in turn, we may be tempted to mimic those same behaviors from the outside in. And following those same checkboxes because it looks good to do so, giving the appearance of godly, good living. Now, I am all for modeling godly character, and I'm all for Paul's guidance and teaching on godly living, as we read here and as we read elsewhere in, in Paul's letters. And I am all for iron sharpening iron, as we're taught in Proverbs 27. Where we stumble is when we focus on behavior as opposed to a transformation of our heart and mind, and that transformation flowing out from us rather than being imposed into us. Passages like Ephesians 5 are absolutely invaluable to understanding what godly life looks like. Here we're taught to avoid, among other things, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, coveting, filthiness, foolish talk, crude jokes, dad jokes are okay, sorry Rebecca, and idolatry. Outside purity is very appealing to us as people, I think. It's quantifiable. It's measurable, you can see it, you can display it, but it's empty without an inner transformation. Paul wrote in Romans 5 that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And we get a glimpse of what that love looks like in Psalm 23, the devotion, and care and love that God shows for us and the deep trust that it nurtures in return. 
if passages such as Ephesians are not intertwined with this outpouring of love in our being, the godly things we say and do will be hollow and worthless and futile, or as Paul put it, nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. When our faith is outside in, we, we risk running into two traps, a compartmentalized faith driven by some cause but blind to other, marching here, banning there, but not experiencing the brokenness around us, or a legalist faith driven by lists and interpretations of lists, just as the Pharisees enforced during the time of Jesus. Good Christians do versus good Christians are. We are freed though from these traps through following God's instruction to Samuel, when we focus not on our outward appearance, but rather on having a heart for God, welcoming his love and allowing him to transform us from the inside out, seeking God's presence in our being and experiencing God's love, care and direction in our daily lives and allowing for godly living and transformation to be driven by love and allowing it to flow out of us from the inside out. Now, how we transform is as personal as our individual relationship with God. We can practice prayer, either traditional prayer, silent prayer, Lectio Divina, and number in a number of other prayer disciplines that are there. Of course, pouring ourselves into scripture in order to grasp the essence of God and allowing him to speak to us through his word. Reading devotions, meditations, my personal favorite that has helped me through difficult times, guided prayers, tapping into the wisdom of fellow believers from centuries past in order to guide me with words that I can't necessarily think of myself. Conversation with God and conversation with other believers in order to tap into their experience and seek their guidance and wisdom. And as well, just to name another example, practices like the examine, showing an awareness of God's hand at work at the end of the day, pausing, at the end of your day and just looking back and seeing where did God intervene? Where did God show his presence during the day? The big things and the small things. And so perhaps we can all over the coming week and during the remainder of this time of Lent, find some new way to allow God's transformative work to take root in our lives and allow us to show God's love from the inside out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Paul.